Purgatory, Chapter 15 The Pains of Purgatory St. Magdalene de Pazzi, in her celebrated vision, where the different prisons of purgatory were shown to her, saw the soul of her brother, who died after having led a most fervent Christian life. Nevertheless, this soul was detained in suffering for certain faults, which had not sufficiently expiated upon earth. These, says the saint, are the most intolerable sufferings, and yet they are endured with joy. Ah, uh, why are they not understood by those who lack the courage to bear their cross here below? Struck with this frightful spectacle which had just been contemplated, she ran to her prioress, and casting herself upon her knees, she cried out, My dear mother, how terrible are the pangs of purgatory! Never could I have believed it, had not God manifested it to me. And nevertheless, I cannot call them cruel. Rather, they are advantageous, since they lead to the ineffable bliss of paradise. To impress this more and more upon our minds, it has pleased God to give us certain holy persons a small share in the pains of expiation, like a drop of the bitter cup which the poor souls have to drink a spark of the fire which consumes them. The historian Bozovas, in his history of Poland, under the date 1598, relates a miraculous event, which happened to the venerable Stanislaus Koczka, one of the luminaries of the Order of St. Dominic in Poland. One day, whilst this religious, full of charity for the departed, recited the rosary, he saw appear near him a soul all enveloped in flames. As she besought him to have pity on her, and to alleviate the intolerable sufferings which the fire of divine justice caused her to endure, the holy man asked her if the fire was more painful than that of earth. Ah, she cried, all the fires of earth compared to that of purgatory are like a refreshing breeze. Stanislaus could scarcely believe it. I wish, he said, I have a proof, if God will permit, for your relief and for the good of my soul. I consent to suffer a part of your pains. Alas, you could not do this. Know that no human being could endure such torment and live. However, God will permit you to feel it in a light degree. Stretch forth your hand. Shkochka extended his hand and the departed let fall a drop of sweat, or at least of a liquid which resembled it. At the same instant the religious uttered a piercing cry and fell fainting to the ground. So frightful and tense was the pain. His brethren ran to the spot and hastened to give him his assistance, which his condition required. When restored to consciousness, he related the terrible event which had occurred and of which he had a visible proof. Ah, my dear fathers, he continued, if we knew the severity of the divine chastisements, we should never commit sin, nor should we cease to do penance in this life in order to avoid expiation in the next. Stanislaus was confided to the bed from that moment. He lived one year longer in the most cruel sufferings caused by this terrible wound. Then, for the last time, exhorting his brethren to remember the rigors of divine justice, he peacefully slept in the Lord. The historian adds that this example reanimated fervor in all the monasteries of the Providence. Read a similar fact in the life of the blessed Catherine de Ricogini. One day, when she suffered so intensely as to need the assistance of her sisters in religion, she thought of the souls in purgatory, and to temper the heat of their flames. She offered to God the burning heat of her fervor. At that moment, being wrapped in ecstasy, she was conducted in spirit to the place of expiation, where she saw the flames and braziers in which the souls are purified in great torture. Whilst contemplating, full of compassion, this piteous spectacle, she heard a voice, which said to her, Catherine, 
in order that you may procure most efficaciously the deliverance of these souls, you shall participate, in some manner, in their torments. At the same moment, a spark detached itself from the fire and settled upon her left cheek. The sisters present saw the spark distinctly, and saw it also with horror that the face of the sick person was frightfully swollen. She lived several days in this state, and, as Blessed Catherine told her sisters, the sufferings caused by that simple spark far surpassed all she had previously endured in the most painful maladies. Until that time, Catherine had always devoted herself with charity to the relief of the souls in purgatory, but from thenceforward she redoubled her fervor and austerities to hasten their deliverance because she knew by experience the great need in which they stood of her assistance. Purgatory, Chapter 16 The Pains of Purgatory That which shows us still more the rigor of purgatory is the shortest period of time which appears to be very long duration. Everyone knows that the day of enjoyment passes quickly and appears short, while the time passed in suffering we find very long. Oh, how slowly passes the hours of the night for the poor sick, who spend them in sleeplessness and pain. We may say that the more intense the pain, the longer appears the shortest duration of time. This rule furnishes us with a new means of estimating the sufferings of purgatory. We find in the annals of the Friar Miners under the year 1285 a fact which is also related by St. Antonius in his Summa. A religious man suffering for a long time from a painful malady had allowed himself to be overcome by discouragement and entreated God to permit him to die, that he might be released from his pains. He did not think that the prolongation of his sickness was a mercy of God who wished to spare him more severe sufferings. In answer to his prayers, God charged his angel guardian to offer to him his choice, either to die immediately and submit to the pains of purgatory for three days, or to bear his sickness for another year and then go directly to heaven. The sick man, having to choose between the three days in purgatory and one year in suffering upon earth, did not hesitate, but took the three days in purgatory. After the lapse of an hour, his angel went and visited him in his sufferings. On seeing him, the poor patient complained that he had been left so long in those torments, and yet, he added, you promised that I should remain but only three days. How long, asked the angel, do you think that you have been suffering? At least for several years, he replied, and I had to suffer but three days. No, said the angel, that you have been here only one hour. The intensity of the pain deceives you as to the time. It makes an instant appear as a day, and an hour years. Alas, then, he said with a sigh, I have been very blind and inconsiderate in the choice I made. Pray God, my good angel, to pardon me, and permit me to return to earth. I am ready to submit to the most cruel maladies, not only for two years, but as long as it shall please him. Rather six years of horrible suffering than one single hour in the abyss of unutterable agonies. The following is taken from a pious author quoted by Father Rosangali. Two religious of eminent virtue vied with each other in leading a holy life. One of them fell sick and learned in a vision that he should soon die, that he should be saved, and that he should remain in purgatory only until the first mass should be celebrated for the repose of his soul. Full of joy at these tidings, he hastened to impart them to his friend, and entreated him not to delay the celebration of the Mass, which was to open heaven to him. He died the following morning, and his holy companion lost no time in celebrating the holy sacrifice. After Mass, whilst he was making his thanksgiving, he still continued to pray for his departed friend. 
The latter appeared to him radiant with glory, but in a tone sweetly plaintive, and asked why that that mass, of which he stood in need, had been so long delayed. "'My blessed brother,' replied the religious, "'I delayed so long, you say? I do not understand you. What? Did you not leave me to suffer for more than a year before offering a mass for the repose of my soul?' Indeed, my dear brother, I commenced Mass immediately after your death. Not a quarter of an hour had elapsed. Then regarding him with emotion, the blessed soul cried out, How terrible are those expiatory pains, since they have caused me to mistake minutes for a year. Serve God, my dear brother, with an exact fidelity, in order that you may avoid those chastisements. Farewell. I fly to heaven, where you will soon join me. This severity of divine justice in regard to the most fervent souls is explained by the infinite sanctity of God, who discovers stains in that which appears to be most pure. The annals of the order of St. Francis speak of a religious whose eminent sanctity had caused him to be surnamed Angelicus. He died in odor of sanctity at the monastery of the Friars Minor in Paris, and one of his brethren in religion, a doctor in theology, persuaded that, after a life so perfect, he had gone directly to heaven, and that he stood in no need of prayers, omitted to celebrate for him the three masses of obligation, which, according to the custom of the Institute, were offered for each departed member. After a few days, whilst he was walking and meditating in a retired spot, the deceased appeared before him enveloped in flames, and said to him in a mournful voice, Dear Master, I beg of you, have pity on me. What, Brother Angelicus, do you need my assistance? I am detained in fires of purgatory, awaiting the fruit of the holy sacrifice which you should have offered three times for me. Beloved brother, I thought you were already in possession of the eternal glory. After a life so fervent and exemplary as yours had been, I could not imagine that there remained any pain to be suffered. Alas, alas, replied the departed, no one can believe with what severity God judges and punishes his creatures. His infinite sanctity discovers in our best actions defective spots imperfections which displease him. He requires of us an account even to the last farthing. Purgatory, Chapter 17 Pains of Purgatory Blessed Quinziani, the Emperor Maurice In the life of Blessed Stafina Quinziani, a Dominican nun, Mention is made of a sister named Paula, who died at the convent of Mantua, after a long life of eminent virtue. The body was carried to the church and placed uncovered in the choir among the religious. During the recitation of the office, Blessed Quinziani knelt near the bier, recommending to God the deceased religious, who had been very dear to her. Suddenly the latter let fall the crucifix which had been placed between her hands, extended her left arm, seized the right hand of the blessed Quinziani, and pressed it tightly as a poor patient in the burning heat of fervor would ask the assistance of a friend. She held it for a considerable time and then, withdrawing her arm, sank back lifeless into the coffin. The religious astonished at this prodigy, asked an explanation of the Blessed Sister. She replied that, whilst the deceased pressed her hand, an inarticulate voice had spoken in the depths of her heart, saying, Help me, dear sister, succor me in the frightful torture which I now endure. Oh, if you knew the severity of the judge who desires all our love, what atonement he demands for the least faults before admitting us to the reward! If you knew how pure we must be to see the face of God, pray, pray and do penance for me, who can no longer help myself. 
Blessed Quinziani, touched by the prayer of her friend, imposed upon herself all kinds of penances and good works, until she learned, by a new revelation, that Sister Paula was delivered from her sufferings, and had entered into eternal glory. The natural conclusion which follows from these terrible manifestations of divine justice is that we must hasten to make satisfaction for our sins in this life. Surely a criminal condemned to be burned alive would not refuse a lighter pain if the choice left to him. Suppose it would be said to him, you can deliver yourself from that terrible punishment on conclusion that the three days you fast on bread and water. Should he refuse it? He who should prefer the torture of fire to that of a light penance, would he not be regarded as one who has lost his reason? Now to prefer the fire of purgatory to Christian penance is an infinite greater folly. The Emperor Maurice understood this and acted wisely. History relates that this prince, notwithstanding his good qualities, which had endeared him to St. Gregory the Great, towards the close of his reign committed a grave fault and atoned it by an exemplary repentance. Having lost a battle against the Khan, or King of the Avari, he refused to pay the ransom of the prisoners, although he was asked but the sixth part of a gold coin, which is less than a dollar of our own money. This mean refusal put the barbarous conqueror into such a violent rage that he ordered the immediate massacre of all the Roman soldiers, to the number of twelve thousand. Then the emperor acknowledged his fault, and felt it so keenly that he sent money and candles to the principal churches and monasteries to beg that God would be pleased to punish him in this life rather than in the next. These prayers were heard, and the year 602, wishing to oblige his troops to pass the winter in the opposite banks of the Danube, a mutiny arose among them. They drove away their general and proclaimed as emperor Pushkas, a simple centurion. The imperial city followed the example of the army. Maurice was obliged to fly in the night. After having divested himself of all the marks of royalty, which now served but to increase his fears, nevertheless he was recognized. He was taken together with his wife, five of his sons, and three daughters. That is to say, his entire family, with the exception of his eldest son, whom he had already caused to be crowned emperor, and who, thus far, had escaped the tyrant. Maurice and his five sons were unmercifully slaughtered near the Caltiden. The carnage began with the youngest of the princes, who was put to death before the eyes of the unfortunate father, without uttering a word of complaint. Remembering the pains of the other world, he esteemed himself happy to suffer in the present life, and throughout the massacre he spoke no other words than those of the psalmist. Thou art just, O Lord, and thy judgment is right. Purgatory, Chapter 18 The Pains of Purgatory St. Perpetua St. Gertrude St. Catherine of Genoa, Brother John de Villa. As we have already said, the pains of the sense have different degrees of intensity. It is less terrible for those souls that have no grievous sins to atone for, or who, having already completed the most rigorous part of their expiation, approach the moments of their deliverance. Many of those souls suffer no more than the pain of loss and even begin to perceive the first rays of heavenly glory, and have a foretaste of beatitude. When St. Perpetua saw her young brother Diocrates in purgatory, the child did not seem to be subjected to any cruel torture. The illustrious martyr herself writes this account of the vision in her prison at Carthage, when she was confined for the faith of Christ during the persecution under Septimus' service in the year 205. Purgatory appeared to her under the figure of an arid desert, where she saw her brother Diocrates, 
who had also died at the age of seven years. The child had an ulcer in his face and tormented by thirst. He tried in vain to drink from the waters of a fountain which was before him, but the brim of which was too high for him to reach. The holy martyr understood that her brother was in a place of expiation and that he besought the assistance of her prayers. She then prayed for him, and three days later in another vision, she saw the same diocrisies in the midst of a lovely garden. His face was beautiful, like that of an angel. He was clad in a shining robe, the brink of the fountain was beneath him, and he drank copiously of those refreshing waters from a golden cup. The saint then knew that the soul of her young brother now enjoyed the bliss of paradise. We read in the revelations of St. Gertrude, a young religious of her convent, of whom she had a special love and account of her great virtues, died in the most beautiful sentiments of piety. While she was fervently recommending her dear soul to God, she was wrapped in ecstasy and had a vision. The deceased sister was shown to her standing before the throne of God, surrounded by a brilliant halo in enriched garments. Nevertheless, she appeared sad and troubled. Her eyes were cast down, as though she was ashamed to appear before the face of God. It seemed as though she would hide herself and retire. Gertrude, much surprised, asked of the divine spouse of virgins the cause of the sadness and embarrassment on the part of so holy a soul. Most sweet Jesus, she cried, why does not your infinite goodness invite your spouse to reproach you and to enter into the joy of her Lord? Why do you leave her aside, sad and timid? Then our Lord, with a loving smile, made a sign to that holy soul to draw near, but she, more and more troubled after some hesitation, all trembling, withdrew. At this sight, the saint addressed herself directly to the soul. What, my daughter? She said to her, Do you retire when your Lord calls you? You that have desired Jesus during your whole life, withdraw now that he opens his arms to receive you. Oh, my dear mother, replied the soul, I am not worthy to appear before the Immaculate Lamb. I have still some stains which I contracted upon earth. To approach the Son of Justice, one must be as pure as a ray of light. I have not yet the degree of purity which he requires of his saints. Know that if the door of heaven were to be opened to me, I should not dare to cross the threshold before being entirely purified from all stain. It seems to me that the choir of virgins who follow the Lamb should repulse me with horror. And yet, continued the abbess, I see you surrounded with light and glory. What you see, replied the soul, is but the border of the garment of glory. To wear this celestial robe we must not retain even the shadow of sin. This vision shows a soul very near to the glory of heaven, but her enlightenment concerning the infinite sanctity of God was of a different order from that which has been given to us. This clear knowledge causes her to seek, as a blessing, the expiation which her condition requires to render her worthy of the vision of the thrice holy God. This is precisely the exact teachings of St. Catherine of Genoa. We know that this saint received particular light from God concerning the state of the souls in purgatory. She wrote a work entitled A Treatise on Purgatory, which has an authority equal to that of St. Teresa. In chapter 8, she thus expresses herself, The Lord is all-merciful. He stands before us, his arms extended in order to receive us into his glory. But I also see that the divine essence is of such purity that the soul, unless it be absolutely immaculate, cannot bear the sight. If she finds herself the least atom of imperfection, Rather than dwell with a stain in the presence of the Divine Majesty, she would plunge herself into the depths of hell. 
Finding in purgatory a means to blot out all her stains, she casts herself into it. She esteems herself happy that, by the effect of a great mercy, a place is given to her where she can free herself from the obstacles to supreme happiness. The history of the seraphic order makes mention of a holy religious named Brother John de Villa, who died piously in a monastery in the Canary Islands. His infirminarian, Brother Ascension, was in his cell praying and recommending to God the soul of the departed, when suddenly he saw before him a religious of his order, who had appeared to be transfigured. So radiant was he that his cell was filled with a beautiful light. The brother, almost beside himself with astonishment, did not recognize him but ventured to ask who he was and what was the object of the visit. I am, answered the apparition, the spirit of Brother John de Villa. I ask you for the prayers which you have poured forth to heaven in my behalf, and I come to ask you one more act of charity. Know that, thanks to the divine mercy, I am in a place of salvation among those predestined for heaven. The light which surrounds me is a proof of this. Yet I am not worthy to see the face of God on account of an omission which remains to be expiated. During my mortal life I omitted, through my own fault, and that several times, to recite the office for the dead, when it was prescribed by the rule. I beseech you, my dear brother, for the love you bear for Jesus Christ, to say these offices in such a manner that my debt may be paid, and I may go to enjoy the vision of my God. Brother Ascension ran to the Father Guardian, related what had happened, and hastened to say the offices required. Then the soul of the blessed John at Devia appeared again, but this time more brilliant than before, he was in possession of eternal happiness. Purgatory Chapter 19 The Pains of Purgatory St. Magdalene de Pazzi, Sister Benedicta, St. Gertrude, Blessed Margaret Mary, and Mother de Monteux. We read in the life of St. Magdalene de Pazzi that one of her sisters, named Maria Benedicta, a religious of eminent virtue, died in her arms. During her agony she saw a multitude of angels which surrounded her with a joyful air waiting until she should breathe forth her soul, that they might bear it to the heavenly Jerusalem, and at the moment she expired, the saint saw them receiving the soul under the form of a dove, the head of which was of a golden hue, and disappear with her. Three hours later, watching and praying near the remains, Magdalene knew that the soul of the deceased was neither in paradise nor in purgatory but in a particular place where, without suffering any sensible pain, she was deprived of the sight of God. The following day, whilst Mass was being celebrated for the soul of Maria Benedicta, at the Sanctus, Magdalene was again wrapped in ecstasy, and God showed her that blessed soul in the glory to which she had just been admitted. Magdalene ventured to ask our Savior why he had not allowed her this dear soul to enter sooner into his holy presence. She received for an answer that in the last sickness, Sister Benedicta had shown herself too sensitive to the cares bestowed upon her, which interrupted her habitual union with God and her perfect conformity to his divine will. Let us return to the revelations of St. Gertrude to which we have just alluded. There we shall find another instance, which shows how, for certain souls at least, the sun of glory is preceded by a dawn which breaks by degrees. A religious died in the flower of her age, in the embrace of the Lord. She had been remarkable for the tender devotion of the Blessed Sacrament. After her death, St. Gertrude saw her, brilliant with a celestial light, kneeling before the divine master, whose glorified wounds appeared like lighted torches, from whence issued five flaming rays that pierced the five senses of the deceased. The countenance of the latter, 
However, it was clouded by an expression of deep sadness. Lord Jesus, cried the saint, how comes it that whilst you thus illuminate your servant, she does not experience perfect joy? Until now, replied the good master, this sister has been worthy to contemplate my glorified humanity only, and to enjoy the sight of my five wounds, in recompense for her tender devotion to the mystery of the Holy Eucharist. But unless numerous suffrages are offered in her favor, she cannot yet be admitted into the beatific vision on account of some slight defects in the observation of her holy rules. Let us conclude that we have said concerning the nature of these pains by some details which we find in the life of Blessed Margaret Mary of the Visitation. They are taken in part from the memoir of Mother Griffier, who wisely diffident in the subject of the extraordinary graces granted to Blessed Sister Margaret, recognized the truth only after a thousand trials. Mother Philiberte Emmanuel de Monteau, superior at Ancy, died February 2, 1683, after a life which had edified the whole order. Mother Griffier recommended her specially to the prayers of Sister Margaret. After some time the latter told her superior that the Lord will make known to her that this soul was most dear to him on account of her love and fidelity in his service, and that ample recompense awaited her in heaven when she should have accomplished her purification in purgatory. The Blessed Sister saw the departed in the place of expiation, our Lord showed her the sufferings which she endured, and how greatly she had relieved by the suffrages and good works which were daily offered for her throughout the whole order of the visitation. During the night from Holy Thursday to Good Friday, while Sister Margaret was still praying for her, he showed her the soul of the departed as placed under the chalice which contained the sacred host on the altar of repose. There she participated in the merits of his agony in the Garden of Olives. On each Sunday, which that year fell on April 18th, Sister Margaret saw the soul enjoying the commencement, as it were, of eternal felicity, desiring and hoping soon to be admitted to the vision and possession of God. Finally, a fortnight after, on May the 2nd, Sunday, Feast of the Good Shepherd, she saw the soul of the departed as rising sweetly into eternal glory, chanting melodiously the canticle of divine love. Let us see how Blessed Margaret herself gives the account of this apparition in the letter addressed on the same day, May 2, 1623, to Mother de Sumes of Dion. Jesus forever, my soul's filled with so great a joy that I can scarcely retain myself. Permit me, dear mother, to communicate it to your heart, which is one with mine in that of our Lord. This morning, Sunday of the Good Shepherd, on awakening, two of my good friends came to bid me adieu. Today the Supreme Pastor receives me into his eternal fold with a million other souls. Both joined this multitude of blessed souls and departed singing canticles of joy. One is the good mother for liberté, Manuel de Monteux, the other sister, Jean Catherine Guichon. One repeated unceasingly these words, Love triumphs, love rejoices in God. The other, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord and the religious who live and die in the exact observance of their rules. Both desired that I should say to you on their part that death may separate souls but can never disunite them. If you knew how my soul was transported with joy, for whilst I was speaking to them, I saw them sink by degrees into glory like a person who plunges into the vast ocean. They ask of you in thanksgiving to the Holy Trinity, one laudate, and three times gloria patri. As I desired them to remember us, their last words were that, ingratitude is unknown in heaven.
Purgatory, Chapter 20 Diversity of the Pains King Sancho and Queen Guda Saint Ledwina and the Souls Transpierced Blessed Margaret Mary and the Bed of Fire According to the saints, there is a great diversity in the corporal pains of purgatory. Although fire is the principal instrument of torture, there is also the torment of cold, the torment of the members, and the torture applied to the different senses of the human body. This diversity of suffering seems to correspond to the nature of the sins, each one of which demands its own punishment, according to these words. By what things a man sinneth, by the same also is he tormented. It is just that it should be so with regard to the chastisement, since the same diversity exists in the distribution of the reward. In heaven each one receives according to his works, and as the Venerable Bede says, each one receives his crown, his robe of glory. For the martyr this robe is of a rich purple color, whilst that of the confessor has the brilliancy of a dazzling whiteness. The historian John Vasquez, in his Chronicles of the year 1940, relates how Sancho, king of Leon, appeared to Queen Guda, and by the piety of this princess was delivered from purgatory. Sancho, who led a truly Christian life, was poisoned by one of his subjects. After his death, Queen Guda passed her time in praying and causing prayers to be offered for the repose of his soul. Not content with having a great number of masses offered for his release, in order that she might weep and pray near the dear remains, she took the veil of the convent of Castile, where the body of her husband has been deposited. One Saturday, whilst praying at the feet of the Blessed Virgin, and recommending to her the soul of her departed husband, Sancho appeared to her, but in what condition? Great God, he was clad in garments of mourning and wore a double row of red-hot chains around his waist. Having thanked his pious widow for her suffrages, he conjured her to continue her work of charity. Ah, if you knew, Gouda, what I suffer, said he to her, you would still do more. By the bowels of divine mercy, I conjure you, help me, dear Gouda, help me, for I am devoured by these flames. The queen redoubled her prayers and good works. She distributed alms among the poor, caused masses to be celebrated in all parts of the country, and gave to the convent a magnificent ornament for use at the altar. At the end of the forty days, the king again appeared. He had been relieved of the burning censure and all his other sufferings. In place of his robes of mourning, he wore a mantle of dazzling whiteness, like the sacred ornament which Gouda had given to the convent. Behold me, dear Gouda, said he, thanks to your prayers, delivered from all my sufferings. May you be forever blessed. Persevere in your holy exercise often meditate upon the severity of the pains of the other life and upon the joys of paradise whither i go to await you with these words he disappeared leaving the pious gouda overflowing with consolation one day a woman quite disconsolate went to tell saint ludwina that she had lost her brother my brother has just died she said and I came to recommend his poor soul to your charity. Offer to God for him some prayers and a part of the suffering occasioned by your malady. The holy patient promised her to do so, and some time after, in one of her frequent ecstasies, she was conducted by her angel guardian into the subterranean dungeons, where she saw with extreme compassion the torments of the poor souls plunged in flames. One of them in particular attracted her attention. She saw her transpierced by iron pins. Her angel told her that it was of the deceased brother of that woman who had asked her prayers. If you wish, he added, to ask any grace in his favor, it will not be refused to you. I ask then, she replied, 
that he may be delivered from those horrible irons that transpierce him. Immediately she saw them draw from the poor sufferer, who was then taken from the special prison and placed in one occupied by those souls that had not incurred any particular torment. The sister of the deceased returning shortly after to St. Ludwina, the latter made known to her condition of her brother, and advised her to assist him by multiplying her prayers and alms for the repose of his soul. She herself offered to God her supplications and sufferings, until finally she was delivered. We read in the life of Blessed Margaret Mary that a soul was tortured in a bed of torments on account of her indolence during life. At the same time she was subjected to a particular torture in her heart on account of certain wicked sentiments, and in her tongue in punishment of her uncharitable words. Moreover, she had to endure a frightful pain of an entirely different nature, caused neither by fire nor iron, but by the sight of a condemned soul. Let us see how the Blessed Margaret describes it in her writings. I saw in a dream, she says, one of our sisters, who had died some time previous. She told me that she suffered much in purgatory because God had inflicted upon her a suffering which surpassed all other pains by showing her one of her near relatives precipitated into hell. At these words I awoke, and I felt as though my body was bruised from head to foot, so that it was with difficulty I could move. As we could not believe in dreams, I paid little attention to this one, but the religious obliged me to do so in spite of myself. From that moment she gave me no rest, and said to me insistently, Pray to God for me. Offer to him your sufferings united to those of Jesus Christ, to alleviate mine, and to give me all you shall do until the first Friday in May, when you shall please communicate for me. This I did with permission of my superior. Meanwhile, the pains which the suffering soul caused me increased to such a degree that I could find neither comfort nor repose. Obedience obliged me to seek a little rest upon my bed, but scarcely had I retired when she seemed to approach me, saying, You recline at your ease upon your bed. Look at the one which I lie, and where I endure intolerable sufferings. I saw that bed, and the very thought of it makes me shudder. The top and bottom was of sharp, flaming points, which pierced the flesh. She told me then that this was an account of her sloth and negligence in the observance of their rules. My heart is torn, she continued, and causes me the most terrible sufferings from my thoughts of disapproval and criticism of my superiors. My tongue is devoured by vermin, and, as it were, torn from my mouth continually for the words I spoke against charity, and my little regard for the rules of silence. Ah, would all that souls consecrated to God could see me in these torments. If I could show them what is prepared for those who live negligently in their vocation, their zeal, their fervor, would be entirely renewed, and they would avoid those faults which now cause me to suffer so much. At this sight I melted into tears. Alas, said she, one day passed by the whole community in exact observance would heal my parched mouth. Another passed in the practice of holy charity would cure my tongue. And a third passed without any murmuring or disapproval of superiors would heal my bruised heart. But no one thinks to relieve me. If I had offered the communion which she had asked of me, she said that her dreadful torments would much be diminished, but she had still to remain a long time in purgatory, condemned to suffer the pains due to those souls that have been tepid in the service of God. As for myself, adds Blessed Margaret Mary, I found that I was freed from my sufferings, which I had been told would not diminish until the soul herself would be relieved. Purgatory, Chapter 21 Diversity of the Pains 
The celebrated Blasio Masi, who was raised from the dead by St. Bellarmine of Siena, saw that there was a great diversity in the pains of purgatory. The account of this miracle was given at length in the Acta Sanctorum. A short time after the canonization of St. Bernardine of Siena, there died at Cassia, in the kingdoms of Naples, a child aged eleven years, named Blasio Masi. His parents had inspired him with the same devotion which they themselves had towards this new saint, and the latter was not slow to recompense it. The day after his death, when the body was being carried to the grave, Blasio woke from a profound slumber and said that St. Bernardine had restored him to life in order to relate the wonders which the saint had shown him in the other world. We can easily understand the curiosity this event produced. For a whole month, young Blasio did nothing but talk of what he had seen and answering the questions put to him by visitors. He spoke with simplicity of a child, but at the same time with an accuracy of expression and a knowledge of things of the other life far beyond his years. At the moment of his death, he said, St. Bernardine appeared to him, and taking him by his hand said, Be not afraid, but pay great attention to what I am going to show you, so that you may remember and afterwards be able to relate it. Now the saint conducted his young protege successfully into the regions of hell, purgatory, limbo, and finally allowed him to see heaven. In hell, Blasio saw indescribable horrors and the diverse tortures with which the proud, the avaricious, the impure, and other sinners are tormented. Amongst them he recognized several whom he has seen during life, and he even witnessed the arrival of two who just died. Bucarelli and Ferretia. The latter was damned to having kept ill-gotten goods in his possession. The son of Ferretia, struck by his revelation as by a thunderbolt, and knowing well the truth of the statement, hastened to make complete restitution, and not content with this act of justice, that he might not expose himself to share one day the sad lot of his father. He distributed the rest of his fortune to the poor and embraced the monastic life. From thence conducted into purgatory, Blasius saw their most dreadful torments, varied according to the sins of which they were the punishment. He recognized a great number of souls, and several begged him to acquaint their parents and relatives with their suffering condition. They then indicated the suffrages and good works of which they stood in need. When interrogated as to the state of a departed soul, he answered without hesitation and gave the most precise details. Your father, he said to one of his visitors, has been in purgatory since such a day. He charged you to pay such a sum in alms, and you have neglected to do so. Your brother, he said to another, asked you to have so many masses celebrated. You agreed to do so, and you have not fulfilled your engagement. So many masses remain to be said. Blasio also spoke of heaven, the last place into which he had been taken. But he spoke almost like St. Paul, who having been ravished in the third heaven, whether of his body or without his body, he knew not there heard mysterious words which no mortal tongue could repeat. What most attracted the attention of this child was the immense magnitude of angels that surrounded the throne of God in the incomparable beauty of the Blessed Virgin Mary, elevated above all the choirs of angels. The life of the Venerable Mother Francis of the Blessed Sacrament, a religious of Pampeluna, presents several facts which show that the pains of purgatory are suited for the faults to be expiated. This venerable servant of God had the most intimate communications with the poor souls in purgatory, so that they came in great numbers and filled her cell, humbly awaiting each one in turn to be assisted by her prayers. Frequently, the more easy to excite her compassion, they appeared with the instruments of their sins 
now come the instruments of their torture. One day she saw a religious surrounded by costly pieces of furniture, such as pictures, armchairs, etc., all in flames. She had collected these things in her cell contrary to her vow of religious poverty, and after her death they became her torment. A notary appeared to her one day with all the insignia of his profession. Being heaped around him, the flames which issued therefrom caused him the most intense suffering. I have used this pen, this ink, this paper, said he, to draw up illegal deeds. I also had a passion for gambling, and these cards which I am forced to hold continually in my hands now constitute my punishment. This flaming purse contains my unlawful gains and caused me to expiate them. From all this we could draw the great and solitary instruction. Creatures are given to men as a means to serve God. They must be the instruments of virtue in good works. If he abuses them and makes them instruments of sin, it is just that they should be turned against him and become the instruments of his chastisement. The life of St. Caporius, an Irish bishop, we find in the Bolantis on March 6, furnishes us with another example of the same kind. One day, whilst this holy prelate was in prayer after the office, he saw appear before him a horrible specter, with livid countenance, a collar of fire about his neck, and upon his soldier a miserable mantle of all tatters. Who are you? asked the saint, not in the least disturbed. I am a soul from the other life. What has brought you to this sad condition in which I see you? My faults have drawn this chastisement upon me, notwithstanding the misery of which I see myself reduced. I am Malachi, formerly King of Ireland. In that high position I should have done much good, and it was my duty to do so. I neglected this, and therefore I am punished. Did you not do penance for your faults? I did not sufficiently do penance, and this is due to the culpable weakness of my confessor, whom I bent to my caprices by offering him a gold ring. It is on this account that I now wear a collar of fire about my neck. I should like to know, continued the bishop, why are you covered with these rags? It is another chastisement. I did not clothe the naked, I did not assist the poor with the charity, respect, and liberality which became my dignity of king and my title of Christian. This is why you see me clothed like the poor, and covered with a garment of confusion. The biography adds that St. Caporus, with his chapter united in prayer, and at the end of the six months obtained a mitigation of the sufferings, and somewhat later, the entire deliverance of King Malachi.